frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Power. He loved it. He took it raw in big gulpfuls. He liked the taste, the way it mixed with the bourbon and the sin in his blood. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. And I'm Lewis. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for both of us to watch and discuss. Today, I picked the film from 1957, A Face in the Crowd, starring Andy Griffith, Patricia Neal, and directed by Ilya Kazan. I almost said O'Neill. It's like going to roll off the tongue better. Yeah. <laughs> um, this movie, Lewis has seen it before, but this was my first time watching it, um, and Lewis gave me the go-ahead to pick it anyways uh, because it's a great film, as I could tell after the first viewing. Um, I grew up watching The Andy Griffith Show and have been interested also in Ilya Kazan for a long time because... Uh, of his work with Marlon Brando and his work as like a a method actor's director. Uh, so I've seen a couple of his films, but this was this one was the first time for me. Um, had a great experience watching it for the first time, but we're going to get into that here in a little while. Um, of course, stay tuned till the end of the episode if you want to hear what we're going to be watching next week, and that way you can have a whole week to watch the film and catch up with us before we talk about it next Sunday. Um, we'd like to take a little bit of time to say thank you to everybody who has been with us, uh, whether it's just been a couple of episodes or this is your first episode, whatever it may be, or all the episodes. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you being here. You can, of course, subscribe to us um, on any podcast platform or any of our social media channels at Film Church Radio. Uh, we have a couple of extra things on our YouTube channel if you want to go check those out. Um, and, you know, right now we're not making any money on this podcast, but we'd like to do that at some point. So we just ask that if you like this podcast, tell one person about it this week. Just one. I like that. Even if you don't like it, be like, I hate this podcast, <laughs> Film Church Radio. It sucks. They have Instagram. This is their Instagram account. <laughs> Just spread the hate. <laughs> All right. Before we get into the, the movie this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching this week, other than A Face in the Crowd. So, Lewis, what have you been watching? Yeah, I mean... So facing the crowd obviously was the was the one that has been the majority of this week. I, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but I watched so Criterion sales going on right now. I mentioned it last week. So there's been a few pickups recently that I've kind of found time to watch. The first was in the heat of the night. Um, Sydney Poitier. I know that we talked about him on our Lilies of the Field episode a little bit. Yeah, um, and obviously you know he passed away. What about a year ago now? Probably we reaching that point. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, or was it the beginning of this year? Time I can't tell anymore. It pro I think it was the beginning of this year. You know. Yeah, I think that's it why was we the did beginning it. of this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
so it's a film that I've never seen before. Um, and, you know, I, I knew of it. I knew its significance in film history. So um, when Criterion put it out, this was on my t- pickup list. So I picked it up, watched it the other day. And it, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's a it's a really great um, representation of how the climate was at that time, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Sidney Poitier is amazing. All his lines are delivered so well. And he's, you know, it's not an easy role to play. I think it could have slipped into um, kind of farce at times and a little bit, I don't know. It, it tread that fine line between being progressive and, you know, not being awful, if that makes sense. Yeah, being being progressive, but but still being uh, something that a mass audience would yeah. dip their toes in. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and I really like the Rod Steiger character as well. I know that he's another yeah, person gonna, that we've talked about. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Rod Steiger, we talked yeah. about in our Fistful of Dollars episode. Yeah, I'm surprised or to see Or Fistful of Dynamite, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> surprised <laughs> to see him not, you know, in any kind of really deep makeup for once. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was a nice, nice change of pace. And I mean, he's really good in it. I think yeah. everybody is. And the murder mystery at the heart of it was interesting as well. You know, it just, it kind of ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that I watched it. And then I've been finally, finally watching the Apu trilogy. Um, it's something that I've had on my shelf for a long time and just trying to carve out the time to watch three films. Um, for anyone that's not listening, I've, I, they are lots of um, cineasts and um, people who that like film talk about this is the best trilogy ever made. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, from India from the 50s. Um, I think okay. the last one might be 59 or early 60s. Um, directed by... Um, Satyajit Ray, who um, basically started his career with the first film in this trilogy, only meant for it to be one and then liked the character so much that he progressed into a second and third following um, the title character Apu through his like um, boyhood, adolescence, and then adulthood. Yeah. Um, so the first one is Patha Panchali, um, which is Apu as a young boy basically growing up in um, an impoverished area of India, you know. Um, and it's just a fascinating look at a different culture and family. And it's it was really, really good. You know, I was expecting yeah. it to be good, um, but it was really touching. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to properly describe it other than just some of the performances in it was just were just wonderful. You know, it was yeah. um, it was great. And then, I really enjoyed that, so I watched the second one the next day, Aparajito. I might be butchering these titles a little bit, I'm, you know. Um, and that was it's all good. again, it, it was yeah, it was even, it was just as good. You know, it kind of followed on the same kind of themes, and you kind of I don't know, it just it really got to me. You know, it was told on such a human level, yeah, um, but just an area that I've never seen before. You know, and both of them were just absolutely. And beautiful to look at, beautifully directed, you know. And the mother of the film, Apu's mother, played by, let me just pull up her name, uh, Karuna Banerjee, is just phenomenal. It's one of the best performances I've seen 
for a long time in both wow. films. Yeah, in both of the films that I've watched. Yeah. Um, really moving, really. Her character was complex. It wasn't necessarily one-dimensional, but she did it so well. Um, yeah. And I was really hoping that I could get the third one watched before we talked so I could give like an overview of the whole trilogy. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be the next on my list. So next week, I'll, we'll see if he sticks the landing. Sweet. <laughs> so to speak. That, that sounds exciting, man. That sounds like there's some yeah. films I need to watch here. Yeah, I mean, I think all of them are on the Letterboxd top 250. Wow. Um, I think with the third one being the highest at number... I've got it in front of me. I'm just scrolling through. Number 54. I mean, you've got to like it if the third one is the highest. This is what I'm saying, and that's I'm so excited. The first one was is number 90, and I love the yeah. first one. So yeah. I am... Cool. I'm ready to be moved and, you know, elated. And like like we said last week, cinema is so good at showing you things that you would never experience. Yeah. You know, for better or for worse. Um, and this is just, it's just so great to get lost in someone else's culture. Yeah. That's you know? really cool. Yeah. It's great. I'd recommend it to everybody. Sweet. What have you been watching? So I haven't watched too much, but I mean, I, I've, been catching up on some films mm. um i watched the original top gun from yeah. 1986 which i always thought it was like early 90s but you know mid 80s yeah yeah mid 80s um you know it, a lot of people said it's not great which it, it just didn't seem as bad as i thought it would be okay i mean it was fine you yeah. know um, it wasn't the greatest film ever, but it, I didn't like hate it or anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, the music was good. I don't know. I feel like it, <laughs> it's like, like it dwindles a little bit. There's no real yeah. point to the end. Yeah, you know, there's no like real plot. Yeah, much or much of one. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's more of maybe just like a hangout movie. Yeah. For pilots. <laughs> dudes. <laughs> for dudes. Um But yeah, I mean, I I wasn't I still haven't watched the new one, you know, and I wasn't going to watch it, but I looked it up on the other day and it was on Prime, so I was like, I'll just go ahead and watch it. Yeah. Yeah, and it was fine. Whatever. <laughs> I'll see the did, new one. Did my story uh, of my um, university roommate ruin it for you at all? I mean, not really. I wasn't okay. really that mo- emotionally <laughs> yeah. invested in any of the characters, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh my gosh. Um, Goose's wife. Oh, Meg Ryan. Yeah, she's like... <laughs> yeah. She's so good in everything, dude. Mm-hmm. She just like explodes. And she's just like barely in the movie. Yeah, there's a there's a point in the new one where they show a picture of her, and I'd forgotten that she was in it. I was like, oh uh-huh. yeah, it's Meg Ryan. But then it's she crazy. never comes in. No, spoiler. Uh, ah. but yeah, she's not in it. What my I don't know what back. Meg Ryan's doing now though. Um, I, I feel like she kind of disappeared, she? retired, yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, her son, it, uh, her. Her and Kurt Russell's son is the new uh, 
Well, not the new Captain America, but evil Captain America. Mm. Oh, oh, that's him. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wyatt Russell. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's I also in. Uh, he's also in uh, Linklater's movie. Everybody wants some. Okay. Yeah. He's in that movie. Sweet. Um, he's in some good movies. Yeah. He's a good actor. He was in. Uh, he was also in an episode of. Um, uh, it's taking me too long to think of everything. Um, <laughs> Black Mirror. He's in a Black okay. Mirror episode. Okay. Anyway, he looks better with a beard. Moving on. <laughs> Um, I rewatched Annie from 1982, which, in my opinion, is the only Annie that that exists. I mm-hmm. uh, grew up watching this movie. Have you ever seen yeah. it? Yeah, Dude, we had an old VHS that we used to, yeah. you know, put on every now and again. Yeah, it's so good, dude. And like, I don't know of a better character character than Carol Burnett as Miss Hannigan. Oh, She's really? just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then, um. Tim Curry, of course, yeah, is in it. Yeah. Um, all the music just brings back so much happiness and nostalgia. <laughs> like riding with my grandma in the car awesome. and just like singing tomorrow, you know. Yeah. Um, See, I think for us, our family, it was more Oliver. That was, we seemed to have like Oliver and Annie. Yeah. You know, the battle of the orphans. Um, <laughs> Oliver always seemed to be the one that we kind of, that we watched as kids, me and my sister, so. More, yeah. Yeah. There's a, gotta pick a pocket or two. That was like, our <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't watched, I mean, I, I know I've seen it. I haven't watched it too much. Um, I'll have to go back and watch that one. It's one of those films that I'm kind of waiting to go back to. I'm not, I think yeah. there's so much like nostalgia attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't watched it for such a long time. Yeah. You know, that I don't know if I could, how I would feel going back to watch it again. Yeah. I go back to Annie every couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. But, I'm just looking um, up the who plays Nancy and Oliver. I can't remember what her name was, but I can remember just having the biggest crush on her. Oh, I did finish Stranger Things. Oh, you did? Yeah. Did you? Yes, I did. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that last episode was a bit too long. Yeah. I mean, maybe. But, you know. Um, but, I mean, it was... I, I didn't bother me as far as the length. Um, but, I mean, it's a short season. Like, all these seasons are, are way shorter than seasons used to be before they were streaming, you know? Yeah, it's like Lost true. is like Lost is, like, hour-long episodes, and there's, like, 23 a season, and it's like, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three seasons of Lost is, like, more than all of Breaking Bad, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. like... Well, Breaking Bad was traditional TV too, but it was still shorter seasons. Yeah. You know? I mean, you're talking to someone that comes from England where sitcoms last six episodes a season. That's so, crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, I know, I know wow. about short seasons. Yeah. Why are we just figuring this out in America? <laughs> it's quantity <laughs> over quality here, Brandon, all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a there's a few other shows that I've been watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, Righteous Gemstones has started, which is just hilarious. It's it's the greatest. Yeah. Um, but still pretty 
new into it. I've only watched like five episodes or so, but, um, but yeah, I mean, other than that stuff, uh, did go see Thor last night, Love and Thunder, mm-hmm. uh, which I know you've seen it. Yes. So we'll do our little review now for everybody yeah. listening. If you haven't seen it, plug your ears or skip forward until we get to the main course of Face in the Crowd. We'll um, try and steer clear of spoilers, I think. Okay. That sounds good. Just because, you know. I'll beep it out if we don't. Yeah. That's what I did with that other episode. Yeah, that's true. I put a beep in there. <laughs> um, so I liked it more than you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which I know you gave it like two and a half stars. I gave it four. Mm-hmm. Um, not four. I didn't like it as much. I gave it Thor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't like it as much as Ragnarok. No, but um, you know, nothing really bothered me too much in the film. I mean, some of the acting was a little weird, mm-hmm. but uh. I think this will be a better rewatch than like the new Doctor Strange. Okay. Um, and I think uh, I was listening to a few different things today. Listen to the um, uh, Fat Man Beyond yeah. podcast with Kevin Smith, and they were him and Mark Bernard, and were talking about it. And um, I think I realized like what it is that that makes this movie better than Doctor Strange. Like, they were talking about how, like, these films, like, these Phase 4 films are, they're leaning more towards auteur directors, like, trying to give directors yeah. a voice within these films, which I kind of agree with. And, and like, what you and I talked about with Doctor Strange was, like, you know, there's a lot of Sam Raimi there that that to love about the multiverse of madness. But then it's, like, trying to fit into this... Yeah, story that it needs to fit into, you know, yeah. and it's it's like the MCU stuff is is the negative side now, like trying to fit it into this wider universe. Whereas like all the Sam Raimi auteur stuff is good, and I feel like it's the same with this film, but with Love and Thunder, Taika Waititi. Well, first of all, I think he wrote it, but also there's more scenes with just the characters. Yeah. And I think that's where it shines most is, is when it's just the characters talking and just character stuff, it's really good because that's like what, that's like the director's voice coming through. Yeah. Whereas like Doctor Strange didn't have as much of that stuff. It was, it had a bigger plot that it needed to fit into. So there wasn't as much room for him to like mm-hmm. do the Sam Raimi thing, you know? Yeah. So. I, I, yeah. And I think that's where my problems lie now with the MCU is that. Yeah. You know, this phase especially, we had Chloe Zhao who did Nomadland, who did The Eternals. Yeah. It didn't seem to be a trick. Like, I could not have told you that that was directed by Chloe Zhao. You know, if you had shown me that yeah. film, there was no trace. Um, yeah. We've had Sam Raimi um, and now Tyker again. And I just, I, you know, and I know that there's other, the director of the the. Um, remake of Candyman, for example, is signed on, and she's doing, I think, the Marvels. Um, okay, like the movie later. I think they're filming it right now, potentially. Um, but my just worry is that all these directors are just going through the machine. You know, yeah. there's or any originality is just being gobbled up and used. You know, just to sell yeah. 
or just to attach it to you make them seem a bit more prestigious yeah. i guess um and this is the thing i mean that i'd seen a lot of stuff about thor like you know oh it's it's a comedy so don't go in expecting it to be you know life-changing it's like it can be a comedy like these films can be whatever you want them to be like you don't yeah. have to downplay it by saying it's a comedy you know? yeah and um, well, and it, it also, it's like, where is there going to be any room for new directors at this point? Yeah. Like any directors that haven't had their chance yet? Yeah, exactly. You know, is it, yeah. are they just going to be snatching up all these big names to do these Marvel movies? And Because yeah. and, it's like, where did the Rousseau brothers come from? Like, what did yeah. they do before Civil War? Or, yeah, now they're doing Civil some... War. I, I think they did... Uh, Winter Soldier first. Yeah, Winter Soldier first. And the same with those writers. It's like those, mm-hmm. the writers of those movies that worked with the Russo brothers, mm-hmm. they didn't come out of nowhere, but it's not like they had done anything that was like groundbreaking for their careers yet. You know? Yeah. And there's the stats that I showed you where like already in phase four, we haven't even completed it. And there's 50 hours of content. Yeah. And it just, I mean, the CGI... You look on Twitter and that's all people are talking about is how wonky the CGI for everything looks at the moment. Yeah. It just feels rushed. You know, there just doesn't seem to be, you know, they're just, and that potentially might be because of COVID, you know, it might be being a bit harsh here. But yeah, everything I, everything piled up and then, the, yeah. Yeah, trying to get it out before a deadline maybe. But I just feel a bit, I'm just, you know, take your time, slow it down. Like let's have, I don't know, just better quality films you know because yeah it's it seems to me like everything is just the same basic plot just with different jokes yeah you know and i mean some of thor and love uh, love and thunder i found worked really well but in i'm just i'm just a bit cold at the moment i mean the um miss marvel show i don't even know is that the it is right uh yeah miss yeah miss marvel yeah yeah i've only watched the first episode yeah, and it's like all of them are out, and it's just, and it's not to do with the quality of the show because the first episode I enjoyed, I just, I don't think I can be bothered to go through it, you know. Yeah, Which yeah, I feel like with that show and some of their shows, they need to just drop all of them. Yeah, I mean, like something like Kenobi, you can get away mm-hmm. with doing one a week, like yeah, but. And but that's yeah, my worry mis- for Star Wars yeah. is because when they announce all that stuff, it's like this is so exciting. And now that it's coming, I'm just like, I just want like Mandalorian, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as I yeah. enjoyed Obi Wan and stuff like that, I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, they, they just, yeah. It's just the bottom line, isn't it? It's just let's get ring this for as much money as possible. But I mean, it's also Disney, man. It's like know, it's just I such know. a big giant, and they put all their money yeah. into Disney Plus now, and. They've got to get content out or... Mm-hmm. People aren't going to subscribe, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that Marvel have got a, a like a slot or a place in the hall at Comic-Con. So I'm ready for like a loose announcement of the next, what, five years? Yeah. So it's going to... I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no slowing it down. Yeah. You know, I just... Like with... Endgame, Infinity War, there was, we're leading up to something. And it just feels a bit aimless now. Yeah. You know? Um, and I don't think there's any stakes. Like, if somebody yeah. gets hurt, they're fine again in the next 
Yeah, season. that's the problem. Too. And I'm like, yeah, there's just like I don't fear for the characters anymore. Yeah. You know, when they went up against the God Butcher, I was like, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I yeah. Don't know. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was again another kind of hangout movie in in a lot of yeah. ways. It's like where it shined was just those characters talking. You know, yeah. it, you know, you know where it's going. But and, and I was like really sour on Ragnarok the first time I saw it. I didn't like it very much at all. And oh, I really? Watch it like bumped up. You know. Yeah. When I think I let it settle a little bit, so maybe this will be the same. Maybe I just yeah. need a break. Yeah. I think there's nothing so. now yeah. until. What November? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sh- I, I think Wakanda Forever. I don't know. Well, yeah, there's watch. a show, but then Wakanda Forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm interested to see where that's going to go because yeah, Black Panther too. was one of the films that felt different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know. But I mean, maybe I mean just taking same a director for a while. So yeah, we'll see. Um, but. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Somebody uh, messaged me today and was like, why is Thor so bad? And I was just like, I mean, I liked it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Doctor Strange wasn't... I, I, and, and I said I didn't... Or I thought it was be- better than Doctor Strange. And they were like, oh, yeah, I forgot about Doctor Strange already. It's like, it's been a couple of months. It's like <laughs> That's easy. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody forgets Iron Man, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Um but I mean, in terms of our family, my my dad and my sister loved it. Chelsea liked it. Me and my yeah. mom were a bit not, you know, a bit not as warm mm. on it. Yeah. So I guess the majority are enjoying it. If that's any yeah. stuff to go by, so. Yeah, I I was seeing a lot of negative press before yeah. I went and saw it. So it was I think like, that's I the thing: the negative always rises to the top. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's what people have like problems with, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm just. You know, I mean, I, it felt. I mean, it, it felt very in the same vein as uh, Thor Ragnarok. I think it's just that when Thor Ragnarok came, it was fresh, and now yeah. it's like we've already seen Thor Ragnarok. And yeah, I know. You know. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But. All right, that's it on MCU stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can unplug your ears. Yeah, I'm sure we uh, could talk about it for. More time, but yeah. What else is there to say? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. It's time for the feature presentation of Face in the Crowd from 1957. The IMDb summarizes this film as a female radio reporter turns a folk singing drifter into a powerful media star. Yeah. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, Andy Griffith in his first feature film debut as Larry Lonesome Rhodes, uh, Patricia Neal as Marsha Jeffries, and Walter Maddow as Mel Miller, and other people too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so like this was my first time seeing the film. I was pretty blown away, honestly. I mean, this is quite possibly one of the best films I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, I watched it yesterday and it's just been like marinating yeah. in my mind for the last 24 hours. And um, there's so many things about it that 
are still relevant. They were ahead of its time. And, and I mean, it's just like Andy Griffith is just yeah explosive. Like he's yeah. just incredible. Like mm-hmm. he's infectious and like such a screen presence and just roars onto the screen. Like you, you don't know Andy Griffith unless you've seen this movie. And I grew yeah. up on the Andy Griffith show. You know what I mean? Um, but you did not. No. Apparently. You have never seen one episode. Have you ever seen Andy Griffith in anything other than this? Nope. This is my only um, exposure to Andy Griffith. Yeah. So tell me, so t- tell me like the first time you saw this movie and, and you know, where it sits in your mind up yeah. to now. I mean, <clears throat> this... I feel like this film is one of those rare examples that after I finished watching it, I was like, I've just seen a classic of film that nobody's talking about. Yeah. Like, why aren't people talking about this movie? Yeah. You know, and there's there's obviously things with Kazan that we'll probably get into later as to why I think his um, filmography is not as celebrated today as it should yeah. be. But this, I mean, this is a Stone Cold classic. It's scarily relevant. It's wonderfully put together. The performances, I mean, you said Andy Griffith roaring onto the screen is the perfect way to put it. He is phenomenal in this film. Yeah, You know, it's hard for me to shake Lonesome Roads from Andy Griffith in my mind. Yeah. You know, because I think that it's just a such complete portrayal of a person. Yeah. Um, So I first saw this maybe like two years ago um i bought the criterion disc um it was kind of when i was kind of hoovering up all the hollywood like classic titles that they were putting out yeah um and this was just happened to be one of them and i I own a few other kazan films so i was excited for one that i hadn't seen um and i wasn't really i don't think i was expecting a lot but i can remember at that point i was like holy smokes this is this is incredible you know um, it goes places that you don't really think it's going to go. Um, yeah. So when you were like, oh, I bought it, I was like, please suggest it for FCR. I want to watch <laughs> it. I want a reason to watch it again. And yeah, I also want to yeah. talk to someone about it. Because, yeah. you know, you look on YouTube um, and there's maybe three or four videos that aren't like a trailer yeah. about the people talking about it. It just doesn't seem to be acknowledged at all. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, it it seemed like it took a long time for it to become uh I don't know. It it never I guess it never has really become popular. Yeah. But it took a long time for it to even just recognition. Really yeah, get a following again, you know, mm-hmm. or at all, you know. Um like it didn't do well when it first came out. Um Andy Griffith I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff on the on the Blu-ray and um he talks about I mean this was his first movie. I mean he was already he was doing like Broadway theater. Yeah. And he was doing stand-up comedy. And um and he he, he was getting he was pretty popular as a stand-up comic. It, they even mentioned like one of the historians mentions that Elvis opened for Andy Griffith. Wow. Um, which is just kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Um but 
you know, Ilya Kazan was kind of a method actor's director. Mm-hmm. So he was always encouraging the actors and characters to to kind of mold together, you know. Yeah. And a, a lot of the stuff that he would tell people on set was like, if you really think it in your head, I'll be able to see it in your eyes through the yeah. camera. Um, so he was always trying to get people into the mind of the character. And this character is, um, it, you know, just from the little bit I've learned about Andy Griffith from the behind the scenes stuff is very, as far as where he starts is very close to Andy Griffith, you know, being like a country boy basically. But then the character goes to this very dark place. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it sounds like. Andy just had to go there. Um, and he said that the movie took three months to film, but four months to recover from. And because it kind of bombed, I think he maybe just, you know, it's like if you put everything you have into something and then it, and then it's over. Yeah. Like, what do you do? You know? And, and especially if it's not like, getting traction in the public eye. So you just move on and then it just drifts into the distance. You know, it's only after, um, being restored and like coming back into the public eye that, uh, that we're even watching it now. You know, if it wasn't for the advancement in technology, this film probably would have been lost, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I know it's in the library of Congress. I don't know what year it actually went in. But um, I think it says on the IMDb trivia, I didn't put it on here, but, um, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't know why. It, it does need a resurgence, though, because yeah. it's like, it is so relevant in more ways than one. Like, you know, if you haven't seen this film, basically it's about this, this, uh, well, let me just kind of tell you my experience of watching the movie. Because, like, I grew up watching the Andy Griffith show where Andy Griffith is, like, this... He's the sheriff of the town, the sheriff of this small town. Um, and he's a very likable character. You know, he's... You know, he follows the law. You know, he yeah. arrests people when he needs to arrest people. He'll put the drunk in jail when he needs to put the drunk in jail. But he, like, brings him breakfast, you know. Yeah. Like, he treats people well, you know. It's like, you go, like for the drunk going to the sheriff's hotel is like, I mean, hotel, but jail is like going to a hotel, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the drunk or whatever. Um, so the first thing that, that caught my eye watching the movie was like, this woman comes to, to this jail cell where all these men are in there and she's like trying to, she brings like a tape recorder in. She's trying to record interesting conversations between people. And in the corner is the drunk and it's Andy Griffith. Yeah. And so right off the bat, it's like growing up watching the Andy Griffith show, it, it's like the coin is flipped. Mm-hmm. It's like now he's the drunk in jail. And you immediately see this other side of this personality that that I've never seen before, you know? Um, a big reason he was so popular in the show was also that like he's a single father yeah in the Andy Griffith show like there's a lot of just wholesome 
stuff father, like bonding yeah yeah father son bonding and and then also in the behind the scenes stuff a lot of people were talking about how Andy Griffith was like their father figure for people who either didn't have fathers in their house or had like terrible fathers abusive fathers things like that it was like they could turn on the Andy Griffith show and every day that was like their dad yeah and um one of the historians pointed out that that's a show that has been that like since since it, the show came out it's been on tv every day since wow yeah um so it's a very big show back to the movie <laughs> <laughs> um the character he you know he he gets caught just being genuine uh, like he pulls out his guitar he's not ready to be recorded yet so um, the lady like sneaks the recorder into her purse or a basket or something and he starts just singing and like being himself and and she sneakily records him but she gets all this genuine stuff from him right yeah um and immediately like you just kind of fall in love with the character like that's what that's what happened to me like I was like this guy is great like this guy yeah. is um and it's Andy Griffith it's like I'm like like there for me there is just such a it's just like a warm blanket <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. seeing him on screen um so i don't know like did you did you fall in love with the character immediately or i think um i think the point that i did um yeah was kind of in the it was more in the radio station so she records him um and then he leaves town and they go running after him and say, you know, you did really well. Like the segment that she does on the radio is called A Face in the Crowd, hence the title. Um, yeah. Like the the listeners really from this town really loved you. They want you to like basically want to offer you a chance to do a few hours every morning. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think that, that the point that you really like that you kind of, I don't know, that it catches you unawares is really... Um, when he's doing those radio shows in the morning, he's like eating the pie mm-hmm. that the, all the listeners, the housewives. And, yeah. You see yeah. the housewives kind of being like, Oh yeah. Like he does under, like he's, he gets us. Yeah. It's like the, um, <laughs> it's like, I love that scene where he's like, I think it's his first broadcast and he's like, Oh, the husbands never know like what the wives have to do in the day. They just come home and expect the dinner to be on the table and be in a bad mood because of what the boss said. And it's like an old couple sitting at the table and the man gets up and he's like, well, dear, I've got to go to work. Yeah. And he's <laughs> trying to shuffle out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can, like, instantly the film kind of gives you that, you know, he is lovable in yeah. terms of, like, he knows how to, I don't know, talk to an audience or be yeah. relatable, mm-hmm. you know. Because um, I think it would have been a really hard trick to pull if that wasn't believable. Yeah. To see him rise up the ranks as he does um, and being like, I don't get it. I don't understand why people are finding this appealing. Yeah. You know, but it's the realness in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that was the brilliance in the casting was like seeing that, uh, you know, Andy Griffith had, a, you know, big stage presence mm-hmm. when doing his stand up and stuff. I think that was kind of the key ingredient was yeah. being able to entertain a mass amount of people. Um, 
and it's just infectious. Like you, you see it like go through the town. You see him connecting with the housewives, but then connecting with everyone else. Um, and then it just kind of snowballs. It gets bigger and bigger. Um, but it is interesting how in the beginning it it very much seems like he does want to help people. Like he wants to. Um, I don't know, like, there, there's not really, like, he does the thing with the dogs, where he sends the dogs to the sheriff's house as sort of like, a, well, not sheriff, but um, the guy who's running for sheriff or whatever. Yeah. Or is it the sheriff? I don't know. But he sends the dogs to his house. He, he tells everybody sends their, to send their dogs to him as almost like a revenge, because they have a, a fight the night before or whatever. But it doesn't really feel malicious. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It feels more of just like a funny prank, har- a harmless funny prank or whatever. Yeah. Um, but um, the the Marsha, is it Marsha? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Character kind of plants a seed in his ear in that scene of like, how does it feel to be able to like command a mass amount of people? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I guess I can. Do yeah. That, huh. Um and then I think the next thing he does is like get all the kids to go to this like rich guy's pool, the like guy that owns the radio station. He like tells them they can go swim there. Um and it yeah, it just seems like he's kind of a man of the people, you know. Like it starts out like in a good place. Yeah, I think the I mean, I definitely got that the first time. I think the second time watching it, there's a definite layer of um, like sinisterness underneath yeah. um, everything. Because you know where this film's going to go the second time. Um, uh-huh. Like, you can just see when, you know, Marsha kind of drives up to try and stop him leaving town. Like, the only reason he's staying is so that he can go to bed with her. Yeah, he, he did he mention like that. Shakes his friend off. He's just like, okay, see you later, guy. You know, yeah. Um, that was one of the things he mentioned in the movie is like that in his mind, like Kazan told him to be like, you're trying to get with her. Yeah. So, like, just show it in your eyes. Yeah. And I think that that's suit. I mean, he does a good job because it's like, okay, it's a bit seedy, you know, yeah. which develops further as his character progresses. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that, like, you know, you're never really sure if this is him person personally or ever he's playing this character mm-hmm. because that's the mass appeal, you know, yeah. maybe if he'd been in like, if this had happened in New York, it wouldn't have been like wholesome country, you know, it would have been different. Right. Um, and there's definitely that undertone, which I appreciated more this time because the first time you are suck it in by his personality. Charm. Yeah, by his charm and stuff. But this time there's much more under the surface, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and something I'll have to look out for watching it again. Um, because, yeah, for me it was like a combination of growing up watching Andy Griffith and then seeing kind of him as this drunk feeling a little sorry for him and then just watching him kind of get better and bad, better mm-hmm. 
get more and more money, like you kind of are rooting for him, I guess, you know, um, which I which I was. And I didn't really expect to be doing that, you know, from what I knew about this movie. I didn't, I, I kind of knew it was going to get dark towards the end, so I didn't expect to be rooting for him throughout mm-hmm. the movie. But, um, you know, he got, he ends up getting offered this role on the TV station, and then he doesn't want to do the ads. Uh, so he just kind of gives a big mid, metaphorical middle, middle finger to to the advertisements. Yeah. Um, talk shit about him. And, uh, you know, he thinks his career is over, but then he gets offered an even bigger TV spot at a bigger yeah. station. Um, and for me, the change in the character seemed to be, because cause I was like on board with him through all of that, because I was like, yeah, fuck mattresses. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and big corporations or whatever. Yeah. Um, but But then... There's like the Vitajack scene, yes. where like the corporate people are like, you know, there's like a doctor that's been studying this <laughs> yeah. Vitajack pill, and he's like, you're just giving people sugar, like it's not, yeah. there's mm-hmm. nothing in this, and strike it from the record. Yeah, they're like they <laughs> <laughs> they strike it from the record. Um, you know, he's like the pill's not going to kill anybody, but it's like it's essentially just it like a help. sugar pill. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then Lonesome Roads comes in and they're like, we want you to sell this pill. And he's like, he comes up with a song on the spot. He's like yeah. on board. I was That's where like it switched mm-hmm. for me because I was like, okay, something just changed yeah. with this character here. Because like before he was like, didn't want to follow along and now he's like all about it. So like yeah. what what happened? Yeah, it's that whole... I mean, we've seen it a million times in modern celebrity culture. Is that whole kind of sucking you in, like, I'm not going to be bought. I'm not someone that can be bought. So if I recommend a product, you know it's going to be good. Yeah. Like, which, is, which isn't which is true. You know, I don't think anybody that kind of promotes products uses it religiously. Yeah. Um, apart from maybe George Foreman. I mean, he put his name on it. Um, <laughs> but there's definitely, like, that Vitagix scene is one of my favorites i love the progression of and the and like the subtleness of it because it's i mean it's obviously appealing to like the viagra crowd right that's the kind of pill that they're trying to sell is this kind of but this was like before viagra Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like this this whole idea of them selling this pill was like ahead of its time yeah they keep talking about energy and there's like very attractive women you know, I love the uh-huh, bit with yeah. that person that's like, I got my husband a year's supply and the bottle is yeah. like as big as the <laughs> lamp. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that bit. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's it doesn't do anything. He's just using his celebrity to sell it. Um, and it's so, I mean, it's just preying on people's insecurities. And I think that, yeah. again, as Lonesome Roads, you can see that A, he's he knows he's bought people's loyalty and B, this is like payday. Like he can exploit this. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what happened. You know, he he does. Oh, Vida Jakes. <laughs> it's a good song. It's a good song. <laughs> Been singing it all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but then like a little while after that, uh, 
so then he's he's like kind of having this love affair with his you know the lady that interviewed him Marcia, um, yeah yeah Marsha Patricia um Neil, Neil character um and then she finds out that Lonesome Rhodes has a wife she comes mm-hmm. into the scene and just like it, it's a great scene like that yeah. when the wife starts laughing I was like dear god <laughs> <laughs> Because she just has the same, like, ha, ha. Yeah. (laughs) Just explosive laughter. Um, And then it, you know, it's like, then it gets, like, real dark. Like, it starts getting real dark, like, uh, because of the whole um, womanizer thing. Like, he's just a womanizer. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know all the all of the rooting that I had been doing for the character starts getting broken down slowly. You yeah. know, yeah. But it's like it's 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 done in such a a great way. I mean, just I'm I, I'm sure other people have had the same experience as me watching this because of growing up with the Andy Griffith show and like watching it in hindsight, which I'm sure helps with how good it is Yeah. now. Um, but I mean, still you enjoyed it a ton. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he just is a total dirtbag. Like he's, he tells Marsha that he's, you know, going to get his divorce fixed or whatever. Yeah. You know, reassures her and stuff, and then goes off and marries a seventeen-year-old girl. Yeah. Um, and they like is clearly portrayed as like a sexual predator. Yeah. Um, and and then she doesn't know until he arrives, and like the press already knows that he got married. She doesn't even know. And then there's like the next scene where she's. I can't remember what happens, but. It, Marsha's in the room and when this the scene ends I think it was with her and the Walter Maddow character. Yeah. And when he leaves the room she lets out like this cry sob mm-hmm. that is just like devastating. Yeah. Like everything you need to know is like in that. Yeah. Um which I'm sure we're going to talk about her some more like her character, her acting was uh also incredible, like mm-hmm. equally incredible. Everybody in this movie was great, but I mean, her and and um, Andy Griffith were perfect. And I don't know, like, what all I've seen her in. Um, yeah, Patricia Neal. I know that I've seen her most recently in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays like the older uh, love interest in the film. Um. But she she also, besides that movie, feels very familiar. I'm not sure what else I might have seen her in, like maybe some TV shows or something, but she has this very, almost like ominous presence. Yeah, I think she's got one, she's got such a wonderful face because I think, I don't know why I say it like that, because it's like, it's like homegrown and like homey, but it's also that touch of like, I know film stardom. If that makes sense, you can yeah. tell that, like classic Hollywood. Yeah, like she's obviously, like she plays the home, the homespun kind of 
you know, girl really, really well. But there's also that touch of glamour there. Yeah, yeah, I think when she got really interesting in this movie was when she when she it is portrayed as having more money and then she's mm-hmm. like sitting in the bar with Walter Maddow and it's like film noir looking and mm-hmm. she's just gorgeous. I, I remember. Yeah, but mm-hmm. she's just but also she's just like I hate to use the word creepy. Yeah. But there's something about her that's like kind of ominous or like dark. I don't know. Femme fatale kind of yeah, I vibes. guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um but she's she's great. Yeah. She is. I um, think that she she plays that character really well. Um, yeah. because, you know, like I said, with Andy Griffith there's a lot where it could have it could not have been believable. And it's the same with her. You need to believe that regardless of all this crazy things that he's done, she would still go back to him. Yeah. You know, she needs to f- tread that line really um, closely in terms of, yeah. you know, this is why I'm still attracted to him. It's because he's so magnetic as a force. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, she does a great job. Yeah. Um, I think what took this film over the top for me uh, was not expecting to be so emotional and like the the not the very last scene but basically like the climax of the movie yeah. where lonesome he's doing his thing on TV it's like the end of the show um they've been looking for the Marsha character um you know the scene before lonesome basically tries to come back to her and she's like she runs yeah. away from him cuz she mm-hmm. realizes that he's that she has created a monster. Yeah. Um, there's all this other political stuff. Like he's becomes this kind of political figure or political influencer. He, he gets this, um, I guess it's like a businessman that's like running for something and he endorses him or whatever. And, um, (laughs) there's like a hilarious scene where he's like talking with the, the political figure and Lonesome Rhodes is like, you need a new personality. (laughs) 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 And just like, oh my God, dude, that scene, like, and there's like all these other old men sitting around this political guy and they're just like patting him on the shoulder. Just like, oh, he's just, it's just games. We're just joking. We're just poking fun at you. Yeah. Um, Like those little touches just like made that scene. But then, so when he's like closing out his show, um, it's, it's the, it's the credits. So -hmm. they've muted, they've muted the, um, the screen for the audiences that are watching the show. And it's just lonesome standing around his co-stars and he's talking, but he's talking shit about the audience and the audience can't hear because it's muted. Yeah. And one of the tech guys is like, oh, if they could only hear what he was actually saying. And he like leaves. And the Marsha character just all of a sudden is like, this is yeah, this is the moment. Yeah. This, this is where I'm going to tear it all down. The what I, She created this monster and only she can destroy it. And she turns on the mic and just like holds on to it. And like all these people run in and try to rip her off and stuff. But all of a sudden... Lonesome Rhodes is now broadcasting that he basically has duped 
the audience yeah. into believing whatever he says and um in an instant tears everything down and what got me was like marsha like mm-hmm. after that yeah after they she's... rip her off she just like breaks down and is crying and crying yeah. and crying and you just like i related with her because it was like because i loved lonesome yeah as much as she did like i love andy griffith i love this character and and the person who i grew up watching and to to just see something so evil yeah. something that you genuinely love be so evil um i i it really felt like she loved him you know yeah. what i mean like and i didn't i really didn't expect to just be like to connect with that so much you know what i mean i know and that last scene there's such well the kind of second to last scene there's such a wonderful like closing and symmetry to that opening scene when she discovered him it's she's just it's like retribution she's doing the one thing that she knows will kind of clearer in a way so the film starts and she hides a microphone to hear him play and it ends with her activating a hidden microphone so the audience mm. can hear him again yeah you know i didn't even think it, about that and it's such like a full circle moment yeah and it's kind of like you can tell when she's crying it's not just like i've hurt someone that i obviously still have feelings for but it's like i've kind of i've closed the chat i've closed the book that's the yeah. kind of the closure I needed personally to to end like to get me out of this. Yeah, because like you said, I don't I don't necessarily think that she created him. I think that as a monster, lonesome is already pretty much formed. He's just yeah looking for that opportunity, but she gave him the opportunity, right? Yeah, you know, and now she's taking it away again. Yeah, but like you said, she's just doing what she did in the beginning and showing yeah. people the genuine what's genuinely there and what's yeah. genuinely being said, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that's beautiful. I didn't even think about that. And I think that's, that's awesome. why Kazan is so good mm-hmm. is that there's these touches throughout that just really, you know, that he doesn't have to say it. He doesn't yeah. have to necessarily kind of hit you over the head with it. Like the Vitajack stuff It's obviously because I know that they spent a lot of time, him and Bud Schulberg, like around, um, advertising people and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. you know the thing they probably got it got from it is we target insecurities. Yeah, and they were yeah, like, that's okay, a good point. Well, that's what the advert's going to be about is insecurities and like who would you if you were a man that was suffering from those kind of problems, you would trust this energetic, you know, magnetic force like we've yeah. seen it time and time again you know yeah so um yeah he's he's wonderful at kind of nuance i guess yeah um what other films have you seen of Ilya kazan so obviously i've seen on the waterfront i've only seen it once when i was at school i can't remember yeah. it massively yeah i think it's the same for me and i've watched a streetcar named desire one yeah. or two times i um, love streetcar named desire yeah yeah i haven't watched it for a few years but i love it i've seen east of eden um big fan of 
James Dean. Um, so I, I've, I've seen that. And then there's um, a film called Boomerang um, that he did with um, Dana Andrews. And I love Dana Andrews, like a really good film noir actor. And then I think it's his first, it might be his first film. I'm not sure, but A Tree Grows in Brooklyn um, from 1945. And that film is heartbreaking. It's so really? good. It's so good. Yeah. Hmm. Um, like if that, I, let me just have a look and see if that is his first film. It is. Uh, that. I mean, to say that's your first film, it's so well-crafted. You've got yeah. to see it. Well, he's he's also a guy who came from theater. So yeah. it's like, I think he just transferred easily. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I definitely need to watch all of his films. I have his biography. I haven't read it, though. Um, it's been sitting on the shelf, but I think it's maybe time. Yeah. Now, now that I've finished Leone. Um, and he worked with my favorite actor of all time, uh, Robert Walker, in 1947. Oh, he did. He did. Yeah, he um, interesting. The Sea of Grass, which I can't remember like liking a lot when I watched it. Um, but I mean, this film has really sparked that interest in, um, in watching more. Yeah. So maybe I'll have to go back and watch it again. And... Robert Walker. Yeah, dude. Your long last lost grandpappy. <laughs> <laughs> disclosure he's definitely not <laughs> but yeah just an, an an actor that he was on strangers on a train if any listeners oh, yeah. don't quite know who he is but um for some reason i've just got this slight obsession with him i think he's wonderful so maybe yeah. one day we'll pick a i'll pick a uh, robert walker film for us to look at yeah definitely we should I mean, we should also do some films that we both love too. Just to kind yeah, of definitely. Just talk about like yeah, Strange on the Train would be good. I mean, but, I was watching when I was watching this. I was like, I cannot wait because I just knew you were going to love it. Too. I don't think you could oh, yeah. not love it. Yeah, you know, it's so well crafted. The performances. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kazan, his work with actors is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I've ne- you know these performances from everyone is wonderful, and we haven't even yeah. talked about Walter Matthau. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so Walter Matthau, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> um, he's, like, the name is more familiar than his face yeah. to me. So what should I know this guy from? Um, so he kind of, I mean, he did a lot of great um, comedy performances, pretty much. So, and that's really pigeonholing him, because I know he did a lot more. But um, he had a really fruitful partnership with jack lemon so okay. they did the odd couple together okay um where he plays Mattel plays like a a sports journalist he's kind of messy and you know smokes a lot gambles drinks and jack lemon is the more kind of um done up you know proper a little bit prissy you know and they kind of end up sharing an apartment um and that is really good i mean you know been imitated so many times and yeah. then he also did an, another few films with um lemon like the fortune cookie directed by billy wilder um and a sequel to the odd couple as well um interesting but you know he's kind of every time he shows up i'm like oh i love walter Matthau, but i've never seen all of his films you know there's yeah the, the top ones that i've seen but i haven't really done a deep dive but yeah, I really like him in this. I think my one criticism from a face in the crowd is he's not utilized enough. Yeah, yeah. 
he just seems to be kind of like the voice of reason you know the mm-hmm. like we're you know we're working for him but we know that he's a jackass yeah so and his speech at the end is great and just encapsulates stardom you know he ba- mm-hmm. so basically he says to lonesome at the end when the record like he's kind of lost it you know nobody really wants to be around him um and he basically says you know it's going to take time but you'll go back on tv you won't have the same numbers but oh yeah people yeah. forget they love a you know uh um i forget the word he used but like a resurgence he loves to see people climb back out of the gutter yeah and it's yeah. A, just a really good really good speech yeah interesting yeah um so what Obviously, this film, it it obviously is relevant, you know, to today's culture. But there was a quote. um, I lost my place. There was a quote that said where he says, I'm not just an entertainer. I'm an influence, a wielder of opinion, a force. Um, And it just made me think of like influencer culture. Cause like, obviously mm-hmm. this film is relevant to like celebrities and like, you've got like, uh, business people and, uh, political people and entertainers, or maybe just like business people and entertainers becoming political people. Yeah. Um, and, and how in America, all those things kind of mold into one and the lines get blurred. Um, to where it's all kind of the same thing now. And but then also just like yeah, influencer culture where anybody can kind of be a lonesome road yep. personality. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't make I, a good question there. But. I mean, the first time I watched it um was with Trump as president. And there's yeah. a real like scariness to it, just how relevant it still was. Yeah. You know, um just someone taking their opportunity and just running with it. Um and then watching it this time with a little bit more distance from that air from that time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's different now, you know, and I think yeah. that's maybe where it's fallen down a little bit, because the quite a lot of the like comparisons and times when people are talking about it is in relation to Trump mm-hmm. and it's hard to separate that, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think especially with the Vidagex, it's, it's scary how that still relates to today. You know, we yeah. see celebrities faces selling those products every single day, you know? Um, I had an example, but it, it's, Oh yeah. Cause Amazon prime days are happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so special offers for prime and stuff like that. And I just was scrolling through and they have, influencers quote-unquote on the amazon app live streaming what they're buying and i was yeah. like why are we like where do we i'm already on the website i'm already having a look through stuff why have i got someone telling me to buy some skis <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah yeah just, it is it is crazy it, it it's it, if you do have any internet personality that you follow I feel, I mean, I've been sucked into that, like where, yeah. or, or podcasts that I listen to, like a podcast I really like listen to when it gets to the ad, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a really cool thing. And then I subscribe and I'm like, man, why did I spend that money? Yeah. They, they get me sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, it's it's weird. It it uh and especially the part where he's like tells the politician that he needs a new p- personality reminds me of um Bo Burnham's inside special but also his uh inside outtakes. Have you watched them yet? Not yet. On YouTube, he, he does this thing where he's like basically telling someone how to be an internet sensation. Okay. And he's like you just got to be yourself and you know whatever yeah. and um he's like unless yourself sucks then in that case be someone else be someone completely different and then he's like and if that doesn't work then do this and he like makes this goofy face and starts like contorting his body and like doing just like the goofiest shit um but yeah man we're just in such a weird time yeah you know it's weird because it's like it, it was ahead of its time but it was like being ridiculous yeah but it like but we've gone beyond that now yeah and i think the thing that always amazes me is that this was a reaction to something very different to what we're going through this was a reaction to the boom in television in the u.s Mm -hmm. you know less people went to the cinema more things were coming on tv and this was a reaction to people on tv basically being in people's houses like every night Mm. and like how they can influence people's decisions um but now it's like it's phones. It's these people on our phones that keep telling us what to do. But yeah. the message is still exactly the same. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, and that's the sign of truly transcendent cinema is that it doesn't matter what place you're from, what time, what color, this is relevant. Right. And still says something today that it's trying to say 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's a class, it's a stone cold classic. Yeah, man. Um, and I mean, I mean, we were we didn't really talk about it, but I mean, speaking on the film's relevance and stuff, and you know why it never really caught traction. Mm-hmm. Also, was Kazan yeah. kind of took a hit in his career because of the because of Huac mm-hmm. and the whole. Communist controversy. Yeah. Um, yeah. House of Un-American Activities Committee, which is just, it sounds like a joke to me. Like this, if, yeah. for people who don't know, like if you, if you study film history, there was this time where HUAC, the House of Un-American Activities Committee had all these hearings and they were trying to find communists inside of Hollywood and they were g- trying to get people to name names and stuff. Um, and Kazan ended up well Kazan I guess at one point was a communist and then ended up naming names and people were mad at him. Same with Schulberg, and, the writer. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, he did the same thing. So this was after that and I guess I mean he still made movies, so he wasn't exactly blacklisted, yeah. right? No. But I mean the um, fact that he named names meant that he wasn't um blacklisted. Um but the people he named were. And I think that, that in Hollywood it was like a uh, a black mark against his name i mean there's there's an yeah. incredible footage honestly of he received an honorary oscar in the 90s maybe uh-huh. um and it kind of you know and it pans to the crowd and there's people you know standing applauding and it cuts to other people and they're just sitting and they're not you know no reaction yeah. they're not applauding they're not you know they don't arms folded um yeah and, and it it's like shows, what 40 years later yeah 
just shows how disruptive and like um awful yeah like what he did i mean it was a witch hunt basically and it's the reason yeah. why chaplin was exiled from the us um i mean you know it's and this and this movie again can be seen to be a representation of that it's like maybe this is his justification in terms of like hey these people that you are watching every day can influence you and maybe yeah. it's not going to be politically it's, i mean politically you know communism and stuff but well a lot of the or some of the historians on the criterion were saying that um there's some parallels between mccarthy who was okay. brought down by tv and mccarthy was was he one of the yeah leaders of the of the i think whole, so yeah, isn't McCarthyism to do with all this and you know yeah. the, the American ideals again and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a crazy time, honestly. Uh, there's so many people in Hollywood refused to name names and then stood up against it, and yeah, studios could be shut down if they work with anyone blacklisted. It, yeah, madness. So, I mean, that's probably why, because then you know isn't as remembered today as right others. yeah i mean yeah because there's a, just the ripple effects yeah um there's a great story in sorry to interrupt you in mark cousin's story of film where he talks to who was either like the cinema um it was somebody i can't remember who it was that worked with kazan um and he said that when he was up for his honorary oscar he like wrote him a letter and he was like i think it would be a good time to apologize and just kind of you know, now that this is happening, say that you regret what you did. Um, and apparently he wrote back and he was like, with kindness regards, go F yourself. <laughs> and that was it. He was just like, I'm not apologizing for what I did. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Which I think tells you a lot about the man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Maybe this podcast will get some people turned back onto this film. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen it, like try and find it, it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, try and seek it out and you know give it. I a watch. bought it at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, fifty percent off sale right now. Um. Yeah. yeah I mean, Andy great. Griffith. My God, dude! I just can't get over him. Yeah. I can remember. My mother-in-law was in town when I watched it the first time. She was like, Andy Griffith, I love him. And she was like laughing along to it. Like she was kind of in and out, but laughing along to like what he was saying and stuff like that. And I, and I was like the other end. I was like, I don't like this guy. Uh, Not Andy Griffith <laughs> as a person, like Lonesome. Yeah, yeah, just the now. character. Yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, I've seen interviews with him and he's just a lovely guy. Yeah, the, I mean, they, that was something else they were talking about was just that it's interesting that this was like his first film and then his career was the was like completely different. Yeah. yeah, he was like he was like America's dad. Yeah. And uh and a mm. really wholesome person. Which just puts it higher in my estimations. You know, it's easy to play a version of yourself, but it's harder to play like the exact opposite. You know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it yeah shows what a good actor he was. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you should definitely watch some episodes of the Andy Griffith Show if you can find it. Watch, you know, watch to, like yeah. the pilot or something. Yeah, 
I'm going to. I, I might go through maybe like IMDb and just find the like the highest rated episode. You just know that Ron with. Howard's in it, right? I did. Yeah, I had a quick look at just you know the cast list and stuff, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Ron Howard. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's a a child. I mean, he's he plays his son. Yeah. So it's wow. like, yeah, that's crazy. Um, that's what I always knew Ron Howard from until. Wow. Uh, until I guess I started seeing his m- films that he directed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I don't think I really ever saw him in any other acting role growing up anyway. But, yep. I think that might be it for the episode. Uh, no, we could both what... really keep talking about it. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's always fun hanging out and talking about movies, dude. Yeah, Sundays are the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're gonna guess. I think what this is, each this of us be, rated this film. Yeah, I think this might be the easiest one since Souvenir Part Two. Yeah, I mean five. It's got to be right. Yeah, it's a five. Yeah, <laughs> and five for you. Yeah, I mean five for both of us. Yeah. Five out of five on Letterboxd. So um, good, I put a heart next to it. Nice. Do you not usually do that? Only for the special ones. That's my really. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's my kind of sign of like I love this film. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I just do it when I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty what you're supposed to do. Not me. <laughs> I mean, you can. That's the great thing about Letterboxd. It's uh, it's yours. That's right. That's right. There's the ad right there. <laughs> the great thing about Letterboxd is it's yours. It's yours. Box the letters the way you want. So, what? we've come to the part of the show where Lewis tells us what we're watching next week. Yes. Of course, next week I'll tell you what we're watching, but it's yeah. Lewis's pick. <laughs> what are um, we watching? Yeah, so, I mean, I know we've done a lot. We watched Bernie. We watched um, Hands on a Hard Body, both from small Texas towns. Got me thinking about other places, you know. Um, so the film I have chosen is Paris, Texas from oh, 1984. Nice. Uh, directed by Vim Vendors. I always want to say it like that. I'm not sure if that's right. I assume yeah. it is. Um, a classic that you know, I hear a lot of people talking about. Yeah, I always hear people talk about this movie. I've never seen it. I've been through Paris, Texas. Yeah, I've been through it a few times. Yeah, I think I saw it again at school. I can't yeah. remember it very much though. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's my pick for next week. Sweet. Looking forward to it. Sweet. Well, folks, I think we've come to the end of our journey. Of course, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Film Church Radio. Individually on our letterbox is at Selman Scope and at Walker Lewis 3007. There you can keep up with what we've been watching, see our watch list. Um, and of course, all of our back episodes are streaming on all good podcast platforms. Remember to tell one person about this show this week. And um, we're going to say it. We're a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just got to start with one. That's right. 
<laughs> Next week it'll be two. Yeah. Um, Man, pyramid schemes are dangerous. But you know what else is dangerous? What, baton twirling? No power. You've got to be a saint to stand off to the power that that little box can give you. Oh, man. The great Walter Matthau. The one and only. Yeah, I think that's like one of his only lines in the film. So I'm glad we yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's it. We'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget to say your film church prayers. Amen. Amen. Bye, guys. Bye.